Brother Wade Bass has brought forth the Word of God many times to Cornerstone. He's preached Summit Conference three or four times, and God has used him marvelously. I really believe that Brother Bass is fulfilling the office of an apostle now in Jesus' name. An incredible man of God, capable man of God. Brother Bass, we love you. We want you to come and preach. Let's put our hands together under the Lord for the man of God as he comes to preach. Can somebody make a joyful noise unto the Lord? Come on, let's lift our voice with a joyful noise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. What a delight it is to be in this place tonight. And uh, it is, uh, without a doubt, an honor to have been invited to preach this opening service. I trust the Holy Ghost will help us and uh, that good things will happen before we leave here tonight. Amen. Uh, I want to give honor tonight to Pastor Mayo and his dear wife. What a tremendous, tremendous people of God that they are. Pentecost is blessed. Pentecost is blessed. Also, the Cornerstone family. Uh, what a church. My, my, my. Always first class in everything they do. And, of course, that is a reflection of their leadership. You believe that tonight? To the esteemed elders that will follow me, I want to honor you also. I look forward to your ministry. Now, I have to be honest with you tonight. I am still struggling with this business of being an elder. <laughs> I, um, week after next, I'll turn 70. And um, I thank you for those that looked at me and said, wow, you don't look that old. I really like you. <laughs> but uh, I will turn 70 in a few days. And I told someone the other day, I said, it's the strangest thing about it is being the same age as old folks. <laughs> That's the strangest part of it. But I'm happy to be here, and I trust that uh, the Lord will help us. Let me, let me just say a couple of things before we read tonight. We're living in some very trying times. And it's not just trying times. I think it's very dangerous times. And it's not just dangerous from the standpoint of society and the world at large, but even among us. Because I think that there is an incredible need for us among the apostolic ranks to deepen our appreciation for God, for His Word, and for the preaching of His Word. Amen. You see, 
ministers are under a constant scrutiny from within the church and from without the church. Now, I understand that all scrutiny is not bad. But with the proliferation of preaching just a click away, we've reached a point where sermons are now being rated and compared. The composition and the delivery is being reviewed. I'm going to give that four stars. I'll give it five stars. So what happens is the quality of content will pit one preacher against another. I really think that what we need to do is get back to the message. We need to get back to the message causing the hearer to scrutinize themselves. We need to get away from scrutinizing the preacher in a sermon and start looking at ourselves. Say, how does the word of God affect me? How does the word of God impact me? And I, and I know that there are things in the word of God that are too strong for some people. But I really believe that, a, that a, a mark of maturity is being able to hear and to receive the preached word of God. Amen. And so having said that, I would like to go to the book of Luke chapter 19. And I want to start reading at verse number 37. Uh, it's been a while that I have struggled as much as I have with this particular conference and it was just a few days ago that the Holy Ghost let me know that uh, this is what he wanted me to preach tonight and so I will endeavor to obey the Holy Ghost and while I'm preparing to read I do want to say we have uh, we have preachers across the continent of Africa and around the country of India that we're associated with working with they are connected to this service and they are hearing what we're doing right here and I trust that you will welcome them to this summit conference right now. Amen. Verse 37, And when he, came, when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If Thou hadst known, even thou at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee round and keep thee on every side, and they shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because... Thou knewest not the time 
of thy visitation. I'm going to withhold my title for a few minutes tonight, and I'll give it to you later in the message. Would you lift your voice one more time? Ask God to help us. We need God to show up in the preaching right now. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of our God. Blessed be the name of our God. Hallelujah. I honor you, Jesus. I bless your name, Jesus. I praise your name, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God bless you. You can be seated. We read tonight an event in the life and the ministry of Jesus that was just prior to his crucifixion. And it's commonly referred to as his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so after some three plus years of ministry, even in this text, there is an evident revealing of the sharp contrast between those who believed and those who disbelieved. When you notice, as we read, there were those, as Jesus had uh, had been put upon a donkey, and he is now making his way toward Jerusalem. There were those on the highway, a multitude of people who saw Jesus for who he was. This same chapter tells us that they laid their garments on the donkey, and they even laid their garments in the road, and they were shouting. They were rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. You're going to notice that there were two driving forces behind their praise. There were only two motives for their praise. Number one, they praised him for who he was, and they praised him for what he had done. I am convinced tonight that we need no less in our praise. We need no less provocation when it comes to praise than to praise him for who he is and to praise him for what he has done. Hallelujah. What we have been engaged in tonight has not been for entertainment value but it has been to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I pray God help us in the day that we're living in that our praise is not motivated by the music. Our praise is not motivated by our favorite singer. That our praise is not motivated by just the lyrics. Woo! That our praise be motivated by the fact that we have a revelation of who Jesus is. We are the one God, apostolic, tongue-talking, Jesus' name, Holy Ghost-believing people. We know he's the Alpha and the Omega. We know he's the beginning and the ending. We know he's the first and the last. We know he is the one who is and was and is to come the Almighty. 
We have the revelation that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We have the revelation that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We have the revelation that the creator of the world robed himself in human flesh and became our salvation. We are not confused about the Godhead. We know who Jesus is. Hallelujah. He's not the second person of the fictitious trinity. He is God Almighty. What other reason do you need to praise? What other reason do you need to shout and magnify him? The other reason that should cause us to praise him is for his mighty works. For what God has done for us. When you look back down the road and see where he brought you from. When you look at the pit that he dug you out of. When you look at the slime that he cleans you up from. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Oh, hallelujah. There's not one of us tonight that has a right to sit on our hands. He's been too good to us. He's done too much for us. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to preach what I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight. Shame on you if you come to church and it takes 35 times with the same course before you decide to lift your hands. When you walk in that door, something inside of you ought to be saying, I know who Jesus is. And that Jesus has lifted me up. He brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. He set my feet on straight street. Now I'm walking right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We ought, we ought to be walking in our services just sitting on ready. Sitting on go. Can't wait for church to get started. Can't wait for something to happen. Because we're so glad. We're so happy for what God has done for us in our life. The volume of praise that day was so great that the Pharisees, the hypocrites, <laughs> amen, the folks that didn't like the noise said, make these be quiet. And Jesus said, I got news for you. If these hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. I got news for you tonight. Ain't no rock going to take my place.
The Pharisees said, rebuke your disciples. Now, they were wanting him to rebuke his disciples because of too much praise. Now, we've had a lot of rebuking for not enough praise. But I don't know if I've ever heard rebuking for too much praise. We had not got there yet. I said, we had not got there yet. Where folks are saying, would you make these folks be quiet for a while? They praise God long enough. We haven't had that happen yet. I think we're getting close to that, though. I think the nearer that we get to the coming of the Lord, the more we're going to realize this is where our joy is. This is where our peace is. And yet, and yet, in the midst of this cacophony of voices that were praising him, Verse 41 says that when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. So right in the middle of this one God tongue-talking Holy Ghost church service, Jesus was crying. Tears of grief and sorrow were tracing courses down his cheeks. He wept when he looked at a city, a city that had rejected him. You see, as he's marching, as he's riding that donkey, he's hearing the praise. He's hearing folks praising him for who he is. Blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. And they're hearing, he's hearing them praise him because of his mighty acts. And yet, as he is hearing all of that, he looks at a city and begins to weep over that city because he realizes while there's some that get it, there's some folks that don't get it. While some folks understand, there's some folks that don't understand. And he weeps because of those that just don't get it. The crowd who was praising got it. Those who knew who he was got it. Those that had seen his great works, they got it. They knew it. They, they were able to get a hold of it. I'm going to tell you, friend, it's sad when folks go to church and they don't get it. When the preacher preaches and they don't get it. When the choir sings and they don't get it. When the power of God falls and they don't get it. What's all this excitement about? What's the reason for all of this? Well, friend, I'm going to tell you, if you, if you knew what I've been through, you would be shouting too. If you knew what God's brought me through. Come on. Every time I go to church, I want to get it. I want to get a hold of what God's saying. I want to get a hold of what God's doing. I want to get a hold of how he's working. But the question is, what did the Jews not get? Why was Jesus weeping over the city? It's because they didn't get who he was. John 10, verse 31, said the Jews took up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? 
The Jews answered saying, for a good work we stone you not, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. They didn't get it. He wasn't a man making himself God. He was God who had made himself a man. They didn't get it. They didn't get it when he said this in this place is one greater than the temple. They didn't get it when he said, behold, a greater than Jonah is here. They didn't get it whenever he said, a greater than Solomon is here. There were many occasions, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can read it. They quoted Moses, constantly throwing Moses up in the face of Jesus. And I think one of the places that encapsulates their attitude toward Jesus is found in John 28 and 29, chapter 9, verse 28 and 29. It said, then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple. Talking to the blind, the man that was blind. Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. They just didn't get it. That's why the people had a problem. The Jews had a problem with Jesus. They knew the voice of Moses. They could understand the words of Moses, but they couldn't hear the voice of Jesus Christ. They even asked him in John 8, are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who makest thou thyself? Who do you make yourself? You're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. And the scripture said they took up stones to cast at him. They did not get that the same voice who said to Abraham, I am the almighty God in Genesis 17 and 1 was the same voice that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They didn't get it. That the same voice that said in Isaiah 43, I even I am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior was the same voice that said to them, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Come on, stay with me a little bit. Hallelujah. The problem with the Jews, and this is why that the Jews didn't get it. They were so busy protecting their past that they missed their present and they lost their future. Jesus came, the master of the universe, the savior of the world, and they missed it. In our text, he said, if you had known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from your eyes. He is saying to them, you got so caught up in protecting your past. You got so enamored with the past that you have lost your present. I had some things available for you. I had some things I wanted to give to you. 
They belong. They were yours. They belong to you, not to anybody else. But now they're hid from your eyes. And so he said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to your future. Your enemies are going to cast a trench about you. They're going to compass you around. They're going to keep you in on every side. They're going to lay you even with the ground. It's not going to just be you that they're going, you're going to lose. You're going to lose your children also. And they're not going to leave in you one stone upon another because you knew not the time of your visitation. You were so caught up in the past that you missed the present and you lost your future. I want to preach a few minutes tonight on the price of protecting the past. Now, I don't have time to qualify everything tonight. I don't have an agenda, but I have a burden in the Holy Ghost. I come to preach a few minutes tonight. I'm not talking about dishonoring those that have gone before. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about getting a spirit among us that we're so caught up in preserving some things of the past that have long since lost their usefulness. We're living in the time of the end. We're at a crossroads in the apostolic movement. If we're not careful, we can get so enamored with the past that we miss our present and we lose our future. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about our message of holiness and separation from the world. I'm not talking about our doctrine of the oneness of God and baptism in Jesus' name. I'm not talking about our message of salvation. I'm talking about some methodologies. Oh, hallelujah. The Jews could not accept that Jesus had fulfilled the law and the prophets. Let's look at the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was a badger skin tent with silver sockets for a foundation. Silver represents redemption in scripture. So the building was a house founded upon redemption. It was a tabernacle designed to help men have a relationship with God to a measure. The message was redemption, but the method was a badger skin tent. We can go from there to the temple, a grandiose structure, a different method, but the message was the same. The glory of God rested on the tabernacle in the wilderness, and the glory of God rested upon the temple of Solomon. Hallelujah. The method was different from the tabernacle to the temple. But the message was the same. And when Jesus came to this earth, it was a different method that God was going to use to save the world. Oh, hallelujah. And they couldn't get a hold of it. They couldn't understand that there's a different method because you see, it is said of him in Luke 19 and 10 that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Once again, when he came, it was not a tabernacle in the wilderness. It was not a temple of Solomon, but it was the man, Christ Jesus, 
God robed in flesh, a different method, but the message was salvation. The message was redemption. Come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm just going to jump right out in the deep waters right now. And I'm just going to tell you, methodology is changing. And I don't have a problem with that as long as the message remains the same. I may not like every method. I may not understand every method of the generation that's following me. But I got news for you, friend. I'm not going to stand on the sideline and cause them to miss what God wants to do in their midst and with their ministries. Praise the Lord. David shows up on the battlefield. Goliath screaming from the hillside. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Amen. Well, that's Goliath. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's shaking in their boots. But there's one young shepherd that shows up and says, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. They take him to Saul, the king of Israel, set him in Saul's tent, and he, he testifies about what God has done. God delivered the lion into my hand. God delivered the bear in my hand. That uncircumcised Philistine, he ain't nothing. God's got that too. Amen. But David, you don't understand you're a wet behind the ears evangelist. You're just a young little shepherd boy. Amen. You're not much. You're, that man's a man of valor. That's a mighty man up there on that hill. That man will kill you and eat you for lunch. It's all right. I'll go fight him. You know what Saul says? Come here, David. Here, take my coat of mail. Take my armor, put it on you. David, David standing there with that armor. He said, I'm sorry, I can't wear this. Hallelujah. You see, here's the problem. Brethren, you're going to have to let me preach here tonight. You're going to have to let me unburden my soul. Here's the problem with old warriors. Old warriors believe that the young shepherd boys got to wear the same armor that they've worn to kill their giants. To kill their enemies. Come on. If we're not careful, old warriors will sit around on the pews and say, we didn't do it like that when I was that age. That's not the way we fought our battles. That's not the way we had our victories. Amen. I, I, I think if he, you got to wear that armor, David. No, I, 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 all I got, let me, let me, let me tell you, let, just let me use what I've proven. Well, what do you got, David? I got a sling, and I'm going to go find me some stones at the brook. 
Hallelujah. You see, we got to be careful that we don't try to strap the next generation with an armor that we have used. That doesn't mean that David never used a sword or that David never wore an armor. It just means at that point in his life and in his efforts, it wasn't an armor that was going to get the job done. It was going to be a reckless faith that the God that I serve, the God that delivered the lion in my hand, the God that delivered the bear in my hand. Praise the Lord. Come on, I, I want to challenge some old warriors here tonight. Quit trying to make David wear the armor you've been wearing for years. Look at him and say, boy, go do it. I'm behind you. I'm with you. Can you imagine the trepidation that Saul felt as David walks out of the tent? And Saul is saying, what naivety. What youthfulness. Amen. What immaturity. Hallelujah. <laughs> and that, that trepidation turned to surprise when he's pushing the tent flap back. And David is not being pursued by the giant, but David is pursuing the giant. with a sling in his hand. Can you imagine the shock and surprise when the giant fell dead? And Saul sees David with a sword from the very sheath of, of Goliath cutting his head off and holding that head up for the whole world to see. Amen. But the danger to the old warrior don't stop there. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. The danger to the old warrior don't stop because it's not long before the ladies are in the streets singing, Saul has slain his thousands. But David has slain his ten thousands. Surprise at this young shepherd using just a sling and a stone now turns to jealousy. Oh, hallelujah. And jealousy turns to anger. And eventually he becomes bitter because a young man, a young upstart is outshining him, is overshadowing him. I don't know how you felt, preachers, but hear this preacher tonight. I told my young preachers when I was training them, I hope you do more for God than I've ever done. I hope you win more souls than I've ever won. I hope you have greater revival than I've ever had. I hope you leave me in the dust. Here's the danger. Here's the danger. 
And that is Saul begins to chase David all over the country. And he's chasing him for 10 long years. And then the Bible tells us that there was a time he was out chasing David. I'm just going to say it like this, that Saul was out chasing his bitterness. That's what he was doing. He was out to kill David. He was out to destroy David. Oh, Lord. I, I, can't, I can't get beyond this. I'm going to tell you, brethren, we got to be careful that we're not carrying a sword around in our hand to kill the next generation of preachers because God's using them in a mighty measure. That God is turning their world upside down. That God is bringing... To well... Hallelujah. Because you carry a javelin in your hand and you're ready to throw it at the young man that's trying to help soothe your spirit. Amen. Don't forget, don't forget, I am an elder up here tonight preaching. So I'm preaching as much to myself as I am anybody else. Come on, this ain't no young whippersnapper up here. I know 28-year-old evangelist up here. I don't think I need to say this, but I have been around for about 54 years preaching this message. And I'm just telling you, I'm seeing some things that's disturbing me and my spirit. Hallelujah. You may not like that sling and stone, but give them a chance. I said, give them a chance. They might surprise you. I know I may get in trouble, but I'm going to tell you, we've got to, come on, let me preach. Hallelujah. we got to be careful, brethren, that we don't hold on to the pulpit until we're 80 years old and we got 50 and 60-year-old sons sitting on the, on the seat that have never got a chance to use what God has given to them. Come on, old warriors. we got another generation coming. we got another generation that needs our support. we got another generation that needs a chance. Saul was not in Jerusalem. Saul was not in the city of God. Saul was out chasing his bitterness. And in 1 Samuel 23 and 27, the Bible said, there came a messenger unto Saul saying, haste thee and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. You have to understand that Saul had fought many a battle with the Philistines. He had won many a victory, but now he's losing the very victories that he won. Bitterness will cause you to lose the victories that you have won. Amen. Saul, you better come home. Saul, you better get your spirits straightened out. The very victories you won, now you're losing them because the same enemies that you conquered are now invading the land. God help me. I want to be able to put a stake of victory in the soil. And I want the enemy to know, boy, 
I'm not losing this ground because of bitterness. I'm not losing this ground because of jealousy. I'm not losing this ground because of methodology. Amen. Mm, hallelujah. The preacher in Ecclesiastes said, one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. You see, generations come and generations go. Preachers come and preachers go, but the earth abides forever. There's a place for every generation. There's a time for every generation. I don't know why I feel like it's tightening up in here tonight. That's all right. I'll preach right through it. Because I feel this in the Holy Ghost. Amen. John was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John was preparing the way for Jesus to come. John prophesied about Jesus and what he would do. He would baptize them with water to repentance. But the one coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And yet, John finds himself in prison behind bars. And he's troubled. Is he the one to come? I know I was the one that said, behold, the Lamb of God. But is he really the one to come? And he sent, he sent emissaries down there and said, go find out. And Jesus, when he met them, he said, you go back and tell John. Blind received their sight. He, he went down the list of all the wonderful things that were going on. And he said, oh, yeah, by the way, when you go back, talk to John. Tell him, blessed is he who was not offended in me. John, if I don't build a memorial to your ministry... If I don't start a GoFundMe account for your defense fund because you're in jail. Come on. John, if I leave you where you are, if I'm finished with you, if I'm done with you, if my job is complete, then I just want you to know if, you're, if you can be content with me. If you cannot be offended at how I do my work, then you're a blessed man. Praise the Lord. Come on, you got to be ready. You got to be ready when God's through with you, when God's finished with you. When God's finished with you as a pastor, you got to be ready for God to be finished. And you can't get offended with God if he says, I'm done with you. Come on, I know what I'm preaching is brutal here tonight, but I'm going to tell you, we need to face some things in the hour that we're living in. It's time for us to realize that even Jesus did not dwell on the past. Even Jesus did not protect 
John. Amen. Yeah, but you don't understand what the best. I'm trying to protect my legacy. And I'm trying to make sure. I got news for you, friend. When you're dead and gone, you don't know what they're going to do. Can I get a witness? We already seen that, have we not, Bishop Elder? We've already witnessed that down to the course of the years. You know what? you got to understand. You have to realize this. The Bible tells us that the Lord took Moses up on top of the mountain and let him see the promised land. Moses died with only one consolation. I led them the right direction. I gave them the right message. He didn't lead them over. He didn't carry them in. All he could die with was the consolation. I preached the truth to him. I led him to the river of Jordan. I led him to the promised land. Come on, brother. Sometime all you can do is say, God, I've done my best. I've led my children right. I led my church right. I gave them the right direction. I gave them the right truth. Now, God, help them. Keep them. Put your hand upon them, but I'm putting it in their hands. When you read his ascension into heaven, what time is? I'm trying to hurry. When you read his ascension into heaven, they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Two men gazing. They were gazing into heaven. The two men said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? You know how they were gazing into heaven? Don't leave, Jesus. Come on, don't leave us. Stay here. Stay here. Don't leave. They were, they, were, they, were, they were wanting to protect the ministry of the present. They wanted to protect the ministry of where everything had happened in the past three and a half years. We've been with you for three and a half years. But Jesus had already told him, if I don't go away, the comforter can't come. He was trying to tell them, you don't understand that that where you are right now, you are with me in ministry. And there's a difference with a with me in ministry and an in you ministry. It was going to go from Jesus being with them to Jesus being in them. But it couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. Until they left the past behind. Amen. I have determined as an elder, I am not going down the path of protecting the past and missing the present and losing the future. You see, well, I know what it's like as a young preacher to have my motives questioned. I know what it's like when all I wanted to have was revival. 
and to have men call me on the phone and say, we don't know where you're going, Brother Bass. We don't know what direction you're taking. Come on now. Amen. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what direction all these things are, what you're sounding like. We think you're going charismatic. We think that you're going to go the wrong way. Oh, hallelujah. And all I was doing was giving home Bible studies. All I was doing was having all night prayer meetings. All we were doing was having fast days. All we were doing was promoting Holy Ghost worship. Running the aisles, shouting, dancing, praising God. Amen. You might want to get that third bottle ready. Bishop Booker and I were talking not long ago. And we were talking about the past back in our early years of ministry. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, I remember when we had revival seven nights a week, two services on Sunday. Some of y'all looking at me right now like, what in the world? Are, y'all, are you serious? And that wasn't for one week. It was for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. We didn't get out of church at 9 o'clock. We were carrying people home drunk on the Holy Ghost at midnight. I preached those kinds of revivals in the early years of my ministry. Bishop Booker and I were talking. He said, so with the best, tell me, he said, what's the difference in then and now? I said, well, I really think that the major difference is this. Back then, we depended on our seven-night-a-week revivals for our growth. But now, our churches have become so well-established in truth that now we have people teaching multiple Bible studies every week. We have people that are that, that work in all kind of crazy hours, three, three different shifts. We've got all kinds of, our methodology has changed. I said, as a matter of fact, when I was pastoring, we wound up praying more people through on our regular church service than we ever did in revival services. And do you know, whenever we decided we'd take Monday night rest night, we got made fun of. We got talked about. What are y'all, a bunch of wimps? You can't do it seven nights. Now you got to have a rest night. Y'all must be backsliding over there. <laughs> Amen. We're at a point now where many churches only do regular church services. Am I finding fault? Absolutely not. Because I preached those kind of revivals back there, and I'm preaching those kind of revivals now, and I like it now just as good or better than I did back then. What are you saying with the best? I'm just trying to tell you, methodology changes. Our methodology, our method of, of communication has changed. Amen. Don't, don't look at me like that. You know I'm telling you the truth. 
I grew up when we had a landline. As a matter of fact, the first home that my parents owned or the church owned as, as, a, as, a, as a parsonage, we had three bedrooms and a path. We didn't even have an indoor bathroom. I remember it as a child growing up. So that tells a little bit about how old I am. Hallelujah. We had landline telephones. And whenever we got that cord, that now it wasn't just six foot long, but it was 20 foot long and we could carry the receiver halfway across the room and sit down. We thought we had arrived. I don't understand why people can deal with change in the world and change in their everyday life, but they can't realize that the church has to make some adjustments. Oh, praise the Lord. Who would have thought? 20 years ago, just 20 years ago, that we would have conference in Spokane, Washington, and there would be people right now in Africa that would be joined with us, preaching with us, shouting with us, rejoicing with us. Oh, praise the Lord. I want to tell you how I feel. The next generation of Pentecostals needs to know Pentecostal like I knew it when I was growing up. When I was a child, whenever we spent half the night in church praising God and the glory of God filling the house. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. But we're not careful. We get, we get, imprisoned by the past. I've had men tell me there's some things I'd like to change, but if I do, my fellowship is going to get upset with me. I'm not calling names tonight. I preach all over this country. I love everybody. Amen. Amen. I got friends, 40 years of friendship that they're already telling me if I, if I make that move, then, then, then they're going to cut me off. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't like to lose any friendship. I grieve over the loss of friendships. My heart aches over the loss of friendships. Amen. But I want to tell you right now, if I have a friend that is going to lock me down from doing what I know that the Holy Ghost has put in my heart to do, and it is going to stymie my revival, and stymie my ability to reach my world. I got news for you, friend. I'm walking into the future. I'm not going to be so bound by the past. I'm not going to be so bound by friendship. I'm not going to be so bound by fellowship. I'm trying to hurry, folks. I really am. Your past fellowship, your past friendship, if you're not careful, can cause you to miss your present revival and lose the future that God's got for you. And that don't just go for preachers. That goes for saints sitting on these pews. Oh, hallelujah. When he brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that means you can still say hello to those friends, but you ain't spending every Saturday night with them, and you're not going where they go, and you're not doing what they do. 
Amen. And if they've been in church for 20 years and they've been your friend, they decide to backslide and you say, but I, 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 I don't want to cut them off from my social media account because if I do, they're going to accuse me of not loving them, not caring for me. I got news for you, friend. Whenever they backslide, I don't follow them to the beach. I don't follow them to the bar room. I don't follow them anywhere else and I'm not going to follow them on Instagram. Come on, because my present revival means more to me than any past friendship, than any past fellowship. Let me read you a verse of scripture. Peter comes out of the prison. He's being led out by the angel. And when he gets to where he comes to himself, he says this, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people. It's one thing to get delivered from the devil. It's another thing to get delivered from people. Come on. He brought you out of drug addiction. He brought you out of alcoholism. He brought you out of an illicit, immoral lifestyle. For heaven's sakes, quit letting the expectation of people govern your worship, govern your praise, govern your ministry. saints that need deliverance from people. Well, I'd run the aisle, but I'd, I'm worried about what they say. I'd shout in the front, but I'm worried about what they would say. You need deliverance from people. Who cares what they say? Who cares what they think? Who cares? think hallelujah because in the past three years three and a half years we've seen we've seen several hundred trinitarian preachers baptized in jesus name all across the southern part of the continent of africa <laughs> praise the lord while some of y'all worried about what your friends say, there's churches in India that last year, 192 churches, a, a collection of them sent me their report. They said last year, 2022, we baptized over 7,000 people and we had over 16,000 receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you're sitting around worried about what people think, worried about what people say. Whatever your opinion of the Asbury Revival is, that doesn't matter to me. But it tells me one thing. People are hungry. People are hungry. There's a world that's hungry. 
But we as apostolics better get delivered. Well, we didn't sing no songs when I first got in church. Huh? Come on. That wasn't the beat of the music when I got in church. That wasn't the lyrics whenever I got in church. Oh, praise the Lord. I was taking care of the services back at home. My son left town, took all of his leadership with him. I was left to lead the service, lead the singing, do everything else, and preach. He said, can you handle it, Dad? I said, just watch. I think we had third-string singers that night and third-string musicians. And the, and the boy that was playing the lead, the, playing the, the, the keyboard, when I went in the office, they were practicing, getting ready. He said, Bishop, he said, we chose a bunch of old songs tonight because we know you don't know the new ones. I said, let me see your list. He handed me the list. I looked at him. I said, Joy, I said, ain't a song on here over 20 years old. He said, well, Bishop, I'm not the 22. Everything's relative. I said, everything's relative. But while you're sitting on the pew worried because we hadn't sung Amazing Grace in six months. Come on, you want to institutionalize Amazing Grace. You want to institute. Somebody said, but I don't like these new songs. It's like 7-Eleven. Seven, seven words sang 11 times. Well, I'm going to tell you, friend, I grew up singing, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder. We had repetitive words back then also. All I'm trying to tell you is, get out of the past. Get in the present. Let's have revival. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on. Come up here, Brother Elder. Come up here. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on. Come over here, Brother Mayo. Amen. I'm weary. I'm weary with, with, with men feeling like that they got to keep the next generation under wraps. They got to keep the next generation held down. We need to turn them loose. Huh? Can I get two or three more elders? It's over oh, oh, 70 or more. If you're up. Come on, Bishop Booker. I know. I know. Can I get a couple more? Come on, Brother Odom. Amen. Let me appreciate these elders. Come on. Spread out across this platform here. Spread out across the platform. Give you some space between each one. I'm almost done. 
There's a lot more I could say, but I'm already in a deep enough trouble as it is. Whew, I can just imagine right now the forum. Boy, Bishop Bassett lost his mind. He's gone crazy. They've been calling me charismatic for most of my ministry, so it doesn't matter. Go and do it again. But I'm preaching the same message I preached 50 years ago. I'm preaching the same message I preached 40 years ago. I have not changed my message. I still believe in holiness. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I still believe in separation from the world. And we're not just preaching that in the United States. We're preaching it in Africa. We're preaching it in India. We're preaching it around the world. Come up here, Randy. Amen. Bishop Williams. Hallelujah. Get up there. Hallelujah. Come up here, Brother Hood. Come up here, Brother, brother Buxton. Get, get up here. You're, I know you're getting to be an old man, but come on up. Here, let me help you. Let me help you. Brother Williams, get over there by Brother Elder. Get over there by Brother Elder. Go over there by Brother Elder. Amen. Stand by Brother Booker. Hallelujah. Mm, Lord have mercy. Come up here, Brother May. Oh, I love Brother May. He was with me in Africa last year. Hallelujah. Stand up here by Brother Odom. Hallelujah. Get on the other side of Brother Williams. Yeah, there you go. Now, now, now you fit in the pattern. On the other side, Brother Booker. Get on the other, there you go. Use right. Stay on the right side. You're on the right side. Hallelujah. I want, to, I want to show you what the Bible is telling us about God's attitude from generation to generation. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the ministration of faith, of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses. Musicians come. Give them some hope. So that the children could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say that we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is the plan of God. I said this is the plan of God. From glory to glory. From glory to glory. From one generation to another generation. Hold that hand up. 
from glory to glory from glory to glory from glory to glory from glory to glory it's not the will of God to go from glory to defeat Come on, it's not God's will to go from glory to defeat. He said, let's go from glory to glory. I'm calling on the, I'm calling on the elders. I'm calling on the church. Let's go from glory to glory. Let's turn this next generation loose. I'm tired of young men being intimidated. I said, I'm weary with young men being intimidated because somebody don't like how they're doing it. But I'm telling you, young men, if God's given you a, a divine vision and he has given you a purpose and he's given you a way and he's given you a plan, go to work. Get delivered from people. Get delivered from everybody around you. Make up your mind. I'm having revival in the present. We're going from glory to glory. I said we're going from glory to glory. Apostolic revival to apostolic revival. Holy Ghost outpouring to Holy Ghost outpouring. I want to know if there's another generation of preachers here tonight that you will walk up here to this to this front even if, if you want to bring your wife with you if you're a home missionary if you're an evangelist whoever you might be whatever if you're if you're of the generation be behind the elders or even behind that generation and you want to get a hold of this you're tired amen of just living off of the dreams of the past Elijah to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me there. And Elisha said, oh no, wherever you go, I'm going. Because you gotta understand, Elijah, I don't want just your spirit. I want a double portion of your spirit. I don't want just your ministry. I want a double portion of your ministry. I want to know if there's some preachers around here tonight ready for a double portion. You're ready for a double portion. Come on. Come on in closer. There's others trying to get in behind you. Come on in closer. I'm calling on the elders here tonight. Elders, would you help us pray? Elders, would you walk among these here tonight? Would you lay your hand on these young preachers? Lay your hand on the next generation. Make a declaration tonight. We're going to have it. We're going to see it. We're not going to let this next generation give up the fight. You take your sling and stone and you go have revival. <laughs>